Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Hello there, and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, not joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. Kevin is away just celebrating and experiencing the miracle of bringing a new life into this world. Congratulations to him and his wife for their new baby boy. Kevin's going to be away for this episode and next episode, and then I think he's going to be back. But we want him to take as much time getting used to dad life, getting used to dad strength, and all that kind of stuff. So (laughs) I had to scour around to find a couple of co-hosts to come by and uh, take the reins for Kevin while he's away. And who better? The first guys I hit up, Mike and Sam from the Timeline podcast. Uh, Sam Cooper is at S. Cooper Hoops, I believe, on Twitter. And then Mike V. Hill is at Protected Pick. I am very sure if you're listening to a Suns podcast, you listen to theirs. Because if you're not, you're probably missing what is the Suns. Best Suns podcast, in my opinion, out right now. If you're not, you better subscribe right now. And then you'll probably st- start stop listening to this one because their hosts can't talk half the time look at that how great sam how are you man i'm doing great Uh, thanks for bringing us on uh also congrats to kevin by the way that's awesome yeah it's great mike how are you well i mean great now i mean after that introduction i feel pretty great but thank uh, yeah also congratulations to kevin that's pretty awesome i didn't realize that's why he was uh gone so yeah congrats hopefully we can fill in relatively well for you kevin it was a fun Monday for us because we had all hands on deck at the uh, at the office. We were going to have a couple of people in for the wild card game for the Cardinals and the Rams. So everyone who like works in the morning was in at the night, and Kevin was one of those people. And then he gets the call three hours before kickoff that they're popping that sucker out. Whoa. So here, so it was it was a crazy day, but it, luckily the Cardinals were so terrible. Yeah, that it was like miss a the game. Of, yeah, so it, so it was like a regular night for us at the office. It was it was pretty wild. But yeah, I'm really happy to have Mike and Sam on. And then we're going to have uh, David and Max. I'm sure you two could have guessed who I was going to look into <laughs> besides you guys. I'm going to have David and Max on next week because as I talk about with you guys a lot, I really like getting like a fan-oriented perspective on the team. And I think that's what part of what makes your guys' analysis and podcast so good is that the passion is inevitably there from being fans and the way that you guys see the team slightly different than someone who covers it, for example, like me and Kevin do. Uh, So with that in mind, I kind of just want to start with where you guys are at with this team right now, following this road trip, they go a five for five, perfect sledding, which I think that me, I talked about it on this podcast. I just thought they kind of needed to get through this stretch. And why I said that was because it was two trips to the East coast. They flew to Boston, had that horrible 11 AM start and played horribly and they spent two more games on the East Coast, came back to Phoenix for two games, and went back East again for five games. They go eight and two over the stretch, and they go five for five on the last road trip. And the main thing that I wrote about last night on AarizonaSports.com is that I think the Suns have no doubt certified themselves as the best team in the league right now. And by default, that makes them the title favorites right now. But uh, how are you two guys seeing the team right now? Sam, go ahead. I think you're absolutely correct. I mean, you, you look at the level of competition over this current road trip, and it wasn't necessarily the toughest, but... You go into a game uh, against Dallas last night, and that was probably your best example, your best victory on that road trip. Uh, A team that had won, I believe it was 10 of their past 11, um, if not at least nine of their past 10 
uh, and really just led with defense first. I mean, every time you think this team is is down and out, like they were in the third quarter last night, they find a way in clutch time, and it's largely led from their defense, and it's coming from the top guys. It's coming from Devin Booker with the clutch block, uh, the call that was overturned. It's coming from Chris Paul playing the passing lanes, but it's also going all the way down to the Bismack Biombos on this team right now, and you know they've set a scheme in place that works defensively offensively a lot of things are clicking too i think they're you know as we kind of get into it more on this episode there are a couple things that could be tweaked there on that end more so but for the most part it's hard to complain when this team's 35 and 9 has a full three game lead over any other team in the nba they're they're hot yeah they really they really are and and mike i don't know about you what specifically stands out to you the most about this run but for me i think that there's a way where them playing some of their worst basketball of the year has actually led to them playing some of their best basketball mm. of the year. And what I mean by that is the Indian and San Antonio games through three quarters, it was either Devin Booker entirely or Devin Booker and DeAndre and pretty much no one else was contributing offensively. But then in the fourth quarter, they just show like we can not necessarily turn it on, but find enough to win the game. And that really came through in the Toronto game as well. And then against Dallas, they can't hit a three to save their life, but they're playing such spectacular defense and they Mm -hmm. really just found the flows of their offense in crunch time when it mattered. And to me, Mike, that just kind of showed even more through playing bad, how how they are the best really. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I think the main thing that stood out in particular, the last, I guess, four or five games was Devin Booker. I think that's like the biggest story of the last few games. Especially, you know, I feel like every year the Suns will go on a road trip and Devin Booker will just beat the hell out of teams on a road trip. Like it's just something that happens. Yeah, usually out east. And this time it included San Antonio and a little bit in Dallas. I think Dallas was probably his least efficient game outside of the Raptors game. But yeah, I mean, I think he was the most impressive one. In particular, Indiana, Detroit, San Antonio, those were games where, I mean, the San Antonio game was one of the best of his career uh, up there with, you know, other 48, 49 points games that he's had in the past. And of course, Indiana and Detroit as well. Detroit was in particular, I think, really cool for him because he likes to show out in Michigan and he played very well in that game in front of what was likely a lot of his friends and family. Uh, But I think when you talk about them turning it on or doing just enough in the fourth quarter. I do feel like we often talk about the offense in clutch situations when discussing this team, but they also turn up their level of defense to such extreme heights that other teams just can't find ways to do anything. And I think it's the combination of being able to get to their spots and not panic offensively but also being able to turn on their defense the way that they can turn on that defense, like mostly with the starting five. Usually, you know, DeAndre Ayton struggled to stay in the lineup this year because of injuries. But outside of that, usually with the starting five and the levels that they can reach defensively at the ends of games is, has been remarkable to see so far this season. It feels different than last season. It feels better. I mean, record wise, it is, but it also just feels better. It's funny that you mentioned those two points because that's exactly where I was going to go. To your point on defense, DeAndre in the Toronto game, right? The last two minutes, he just dominated the game. It was just ridiculous. Like Toronto couldn't get anywhere because DeAndre was somehow there the whole time, but other players had the ball, but he was switching. And then he was inside in the lane and then coming out again. Like he was just absolutely everywhere in that game. And Dallas, I think the same kind of thing where we just saw the Toronto game, especially though, 
after I believe book got the, the clean two off the baseline out of bounds play, they played like their best defensive possession, maybe like of the season so far, there were like three or four different options Toronto went through and they stuffed them all out. And then the Dallas game was just more of like that continuous effort over the same thing. But to what you were saying, Mike, about the position that they were in last year compared to this year, we're going to be talking about trade deadline, potential acquisitions and what the mindset is right now. But do you guys feel like based on, I, I guess what I'm going to say is I think we could spend a couple of minutes here talking about if this team has a better chance of winning a title than last year. I, I think that's undisputed though. And we don't really need to get into that. No skip Bayless on that, but <laughs> does this team have a better opportunity this year or last year because of the competition or because they are just that much better than last year's team? I'm curious where like the 60, 40, 70, 30 kind of sways for you guys. Uh, Sam, where are you at? I think the competition might actually be, if it's not on the same level, it might actually be more difficult this year. So, you know, I, I think the sort of memeable phrase that Mike and I threw out all summer long and everyone else talked about was internal development, but we've actually seen it from them. Like the difference this year for the Suns has not been as, as good as this guy has played, by the way. It has not really been JaVale McGee, and it has certainly not been like Landry Shamit. The difference has been in the internal development, in Devin Booker's pull-up three-point shooting, in uh, DeAndre Ayton's really, really good hook shot, not to mention all of the defensive versatility that we know he brings on that end. In little things, Cam Johnson having the best shooting season of his career, it's been the internal development. And they are no doubt playing their best basketball, and they no doubt have a better chance of winning this year versus last year. Mike, where do you stand in terms of where you bounce it at? Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting because the I, the standings are kind of different than I anticipated them being at this point of the season. You know, whether that be uh, Memphis just being much better than anyone anticipated. And I think I was relatively high on the Warriors to start the season, but they're, they've been better than I anticipated. Now, they've struggled in their last few games, but they're clearly a very good team when they're fully healthy, especially with Draymond in the game. So, you know, those types of things were a bit of a surprise to me. But the other part of it is the fact that the West kind of tails off. Like once you kind of get to Utah, the competition out West maybe isn't as strong. I think to me, I, I, I hate to boil it down to just this, but I guess the question I'm asking myself when I think about this, and I haven't really thought about it through this perspective yet, are they better equipped to beat the Bucks? That part I'm not sure about yet. And I think that's, I think that's entirely how we have to approach this postseason and even the trade deadline. I know it's something that we're going to get to talk about here. I think that when I looked at this team, I thought if they bring everyone back and just make a few moves on the margins, which is exactly what they did, that they would likely be the best team in the regular season. And so far that's playing out. Whether or not that means they're going to be the best team in the postseason. And we're really talking about the very top of the league, best team in the postseason. I'm not, I'm not saying can they kick some ass in the first two rounds. I'm asking whether or not they can win a title. Yeah. That part, I think, is maybe not as clear to me right now as I was hoping. I think they probably are the favorites, as you mentioned, Kellen. That you, I mean, they're the best team in the league right now. They, by all metrics right now, they're finally number one in net rating. So they're, they're the best team in the league by all metrics. But did they do enough to beat a team like the Bucks, where Giannis can offensive foul his way to the rim every single play? <laughs> I mean, like a lot of times people say, if we just had a little bit more to defend Giannis, we could have beat the Bucks. I yeah. have not looked at it that way because you just can't do that. You have to find ways to outscore teams like that. 
And that's where I'm wondering if they're uh, good enough so far. They might be, mm-hmm. to be honest. I'm not saying that they're not. They might actually be good enough. But I, I still think at this point they might need a little bit more. And even if the Warriors start to click a little better, they might need a little bit more even just to beat that team. Well, I was going to say, you know, you can look at the Bucks If you're evaluating the trade deadline of what the needs are, you absolutely also need to look at, in my opinion, even the Jazz, uh, who I think the Suns are clearly a better team than, but you need to look at all of these teams. The Jazz, not I don't really consider the Grizzlies to be in this tier yet, but the Jazz and uh, the Warriors for sure. Um, and I think it really all boils down to, I don't want to jump ahead too far here, Kellen, so feel free to take the reins back, but it really just boils down to one or two small tweaks if you're talking about how you prepare the roster better uh, for those specific teams. But I think those are the three teams, uh, particularly Golden State and Milwaukee. You're building yeah. to beat those teams. Speaking of building, we're, we're teasing the back half of the show. That's what we do over here in the radio <laughs> business. You know, we tease the segments coming forward. We'll keep teasing. Uh, Mike, I, I think, and Sam, I think we talked about this at the start of last season when I came on, when I usually come on in the preseason. Mm-hmm. The element that we were so excited about as the constant watchers of this team was the potential of this team being better defensively than they are offensively. And I think that's just what they are, that that's what they turned into. Mm -hmm. But to that point, what made them so dangerous and what should make them so dangerous, but didn't come to fruition in the Bucs series ultimately was that I think when they need to be a better offensive team than a defensive team, they can do that. And then vice versa, their offense just wasn't that good in the Bucs series. And I think you saying outscores is the key part there. And I think that that's the gear to keep an eye on in the back half of the season. And I think has been the most encouraging gear maybe is that the stat of like 30 and 0 against teams when they score under 110 or whatever is, is all great and everything. But the fact that they're 15 and three in clutch games and they've got 35 wins now. So 20 wins have just not involved clutch time at all. That tells you that like the execution is there offensively and they're taking care of business on that end as well, because their defense is just going to keep them in games. And that's how they get in so many of these clutch games. But to that point, they're actually not in a ton of them because you look at the team, like the Warriors, I think it's the Wizards who are like 18 and six, like pretty much half their games have been in clutch time. The Suns aren't necessarily doing that by a default and like relying on this. So I think that's been a really important part of their team. In terms of how I look at how much better they are compared to last year and where they're at in terms of it being an easier path or whatever, I think compared to where I, I'm all about like perspective, like when the Luca Aiton thing comes up again, it is extremely easy to say like, oh, they got Chris Paul. That whole discussion's irrelevant now. Well, like, did you know you were going to get Chris, Chris Paul when you drafted DeAndre Ayton? Are we talking about it like that now? It, that whole kind of thing. And for me, with perspective on this, what I'll say is before the playoffs started, you guys were with me on this, I think, right? And thinking like Utah, like that's a coin flip. I have no idea if they get them in a series. It's pretty near a coin flip. And it, that's how I felt. And I don't think the Jazz are that kind of threat right now but that's how I felt about Denver even before like they got had a couple more injuries stack up I think the Clippers it was the same kind of way and, and all the other threats that they could have gotten and I picked them to lose to the Lakers so I, th- I thought that last year yeah. they really did have more threats in the way where if you look at this year I know that Memphis is is legit but are they going to win two playoff series and can they win three? No. I, I don't think so. And that's where like no. the sun's experience right. would overwhelm them until the, to the last point I make before I toss it back to you guys. Mikel in, in the fourth quarter last night was tremendous. And mm-hmm. I think that was the, the playoff experience coming in where mm-hmm. he understands this is winning time. I need to make winning plays off the dribble. He was off like all night, right? Like his threes were doing the Jalen Smith thing where you didn't know where it was going to land whenever he shot it, like just those <laughs> kind of bad misses. 
But then when he had to attack off the bounce and lock in even more defensively, he did. And that's the type of experience they have that teams like Memphis doesn't have and that they would get by teams like that, in my opinion. So I do think the path is easier this year. I, I like that you mentioned that about Mikhail Bridges and playoff experience with that game in particular with the Dallas Mavericks, because the Mavericks kind of play a playoff style defense now, like in the regular season, they're not defaulting to like a drop defense in the regular season and then ramping up switching when it comes to the play. They're just switching. They're just switching everything. And the Suns have struggled with switching in the past and it takes guys, you know, finding ways to create off the dribble to score against that kind of defense. And if the Mavericks are going to do that to the Suns, I think that was a nice test for them. And you could see how they struggled a little bit with it in the first half and how they got a little better at it in the second half. And, you know, credit to the Dallas Mavericks for having, a much improved defense from what they had last year. Apparently that's what Jason Kidd does improves defenses for teams. Cause that's what he did for the bucks as well. Uh, but yeah, you know, you mentioned the jazz last season. I, I just feel like Chris Paul has eliminated the jazz multiple times. <laughs> He's and, bullied and Ruby, Rudy Gobert multiple times. It's just, it just becomes him just embarrassing him on, on like the largest stage possible. He kind of loves playing against Gobert. I feel like so, yeah. Even last year, I didn't think that was a that was a threat. I honestly believed that the Lakers were the biggest threat uh, last season, and that just happened to come in the first round. And you know, if the if the Suns beat the Lakers in the first round, anything could happen, and it turns out anything did happen. But I think if you're looking at it from that same perspective, you know, nobody's a, the Lakers might actually be the Suns' first round opponents again <laughs> this year. And no and one's afraid of them this year. No one's afraid of them this year. Whether or not Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis has been. Ultimately, Anthony Davis was a bad player this year. He's been yeah. bad on defense. He can't shoot for you know anything. He's he's missing everything from the outside. And if he's healthy again, it would take a miraculous change in how he's played this season for them to be a threat. And not to mention for him to continue to be healthy because that's been a problem with his whole career. Uh, so they're not much of a threat so far. I think Memphis is kind of interesting. You know, a, one rolled ankle could change a series for for Memphis. I've talked about that before with Sam, maybe a little injury luck for them could make a difference. Um, but yeah, outside of that, the West is not entirely scary until you get to golden state. And yeah, I think golden state is a team where the matchups are so drastically different. The way the teams play offensively are so drastically different and it will be an interesting matchup to see if they, if that actually comes to fruition, which to me basically is saying if Draymond is healthy or not, because when the Suns played the Warriors, Draymond made the biggest difference against the Suns. Uh, oh, you yeah. Know, they handled Steph Curry pretty well. But what Draymond does to their offense, the fact that you can't isolate Draymond on an island at all because they're, they're switching off the ball so smart makes it impossible to scheme against him. He's going to be in the thick of it no matter what. So if Draymond's on the court, you have to find ways to attack Draymond in order to beat the Warriors, and that's really difficult. Yeah, he had, he had, I think, the best first quarter I've seen anyone play like a 12-minute, like a shift, I call it. That was the best shift I've seen this season so far in the Christmas game. He was just like, he was involved in almost every play that happened when he was on the court. It was, it was insane. He, Go ahead, I think, he had like, I think he had like seven assists by the end of that first quarter or something. Yeah, too. I it mean, was, his hands were everywhere on defense. Since we're on the topic and it's coming up, Sam, before we get to all-star voting, one quick thing I want to ask you about on Golden State, it, or, or Mike, it, if you've, if either of you have watched them, but if you, even if you haven't, which I haven't, to be honest, since Clay came back, I've caught it here and there. But it, 
let me say this, everyone. Charles Barkley made a really good point, <laughs> point last night. I'm going to say it out loud. I said it. The adjustment period for them going from Wiseman to no Wiseman last year was just as fluid as could be, and it just got them in a certain – but it shows when you add like a new serious element to your team how much things can change. And right now, I don't think, Sam, and you let me know if you disagree or agree, I don't think it's about Clay finding his legs. I think it's about Poole and Wiggins figuring out what they are when Clay is in there. And they were so terrific, like both of them were. And that's – I had them as like a four or five seed maybe coming into year, and that's because I didn't see either of those guys coming and being this good. But to me, I think those guys are the biggest guys that have to adjust over the three months, Sam. Yeah, it's a, it's a combination of factors. It's Clay hasn't looked like Clay yet, and that doesn't surprise me. So that right there is an issue. But then, yes, there's also the downgrade of the play of Wiggins and Poole, and there's the natural downgrade of – Okay, I I know Clay's still on a minutes restriction for now, but okay, you're going to give him 28 minutes. Suddenly, Gary Payton II, who was maybe your third or fourth best player for the first half of the season, was a 30-minute-per-game guy, is now only getting 15 minutes. So there's a lot of things going on in that rotation right now where guys don't exactly know their roles. I think for Steph and Draymond, it's extremely rigid, um, and, and you kind of know exactly what you're going to get. But yeah, for a guy like Wiggins, I mean, maybe this is a good segue to the, the all-star convo, because I don't see it. <laughs> I don't I don't see him making exactly a great push uh, as we head into a few weeks here. I know technically, according to the fan vote, Andrew Wiggins should be an all-star starter, but we'll see if it's going to happen. Yeah, it's this year is such a fascinating year with the all-star voting specifically that we're going to be talking about. So I, I think the first kind of like discussion we should have, first point we should make is like Devin Booker and, and uh, Chris Paul are going to make it. And I'll kind of go through that right now as to why. Right now, in terms of starters, when you look at the numbers in the fan voting, because I think it, we talk about like the split and like how, how only fan voting accounts for 50%. But when you've got a breakdown of players right now that the West has in terms of like once you get past like five and six in terms of front court guys and guards, I'm not really sure how much the pecking order is going to vary. So if someone has John Morant, number two, if he lands number two in the, or sorry, number four in the media vote as opposed to number two, in the fan vote, like that's not enough of a difference for someone like Devin Booker to to make up ground when he's fifth. But with that in mind, there's also a lack of selection here. So in terms of those spots right now, I think starters, we're going to see no matter what with the fan or sorry, with the media voting and the player voting, which is the other 25%. uh, We've got Steph, LeBron and Jokic. That's one of the guard spots. And then two out of three of the front court spots. The other guard spot is where you've got the four players split of jaw, Luca book and CP three. We'll talk about that in a minute. The other front court spot is really interesting because it probably should be Rudy Gobert, I'm going to say, <laughs> but he's ninth in the fan voting right now, mm-hmm. which is going to weigh him down significantly when the other voting comes in. So I don't think he's going to make it, which is no. where Suns fans will enjoy to hear this guys, Draymond Green might start. So the Warriors might have two starters and the, and the Suns might not have one. And I'm sure Suns fans are going to react rationally when that <laughs> happens, or it's going to be Andrew Wiggins. Yeah. Because he's well, that's up there the, in the fan vote. He's third. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even mind if it's Draymond. It's uh, Wiggins is the nightmare scenario. In fact, at one point, I was telling Suns fans to vote for Draymond along with all of the Suns. <laughs> no, honestly, I, my strategy yeah. was vote for Draymond and the four Suns who everyone wants to be a starter, just so that Draymond can displace Wiggins. Because I knew that if Draymond wasn't a starter, they would give it to him anyway. The coaches would as a reserve. Mm-hmm. Wiggins, it would be the opposite scenario. Wait, can I can I just can I just get on my soapbox for a second and say why the Warriors the whole thing bothers me? That's why you're begin here, with. buddy. That's why you're here. Okay, I, it's it's just so. First of all, look, everyone's dealing with injuries right now. 
regardless of all that, you're three games behind Phoenix in the standings. That is what it is. So, you know, we, we spent the first half of this episode talking about the Suns are rightfully uh, should be considered the best team in the NBA right now anyway. But the thing that bothers me kind of about the Warriors narratives right now is you you can't have it both ways. You just can't. Steph Curry cannot be an MVP candidate where the argument is Steph Curry is an MVP candidate because look at how good the Warriors are and there's not enough help around him. You can't have that be your case for why Steph Curry is, is first, second, or wherever you have him in the MVP ladder. And then also have three all-stars to the Suns too, when the Suns, assuming Booker and Paul will both be all-stars and assuming Wiggins and Green will both be all-stars, uh, when the Suns are three games ahead in the standings, you just can't do it. It's, mm-hmm. it's a complete logical fallacy. Either the Suns get the three all-stars and the Warriors only get two, or Devin Booker needs to be just as high up as Steph Curry in the MVP ladder, but you can't mm-hmm. have it both ways. We need one of those, one of those narratives needs to shift. Sam, can I paint a narrative, paint, paint a metaphor here? Go for it. The narrative machine is this Ferrari driving 105, just <laughs> zooming down the freeway. And every now and then a billboard's just vroom, vroom, like you're just flying by a billboard that's saying, the Warriors have three all-stars. The Warriors have a really good supporting cast. This is not all Steph, but the narrative machine just got too fast, too quick. Most reporters of all time. It just, <laughs> it just flew like it yeah. was flying. So it got to the speed where the point that I was going to make is like Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic right now probably should be one, two. Is that fair with like Giannis and Curry in the mix after that? Just with the way that Embiid has been playing in the past month, he's been dominating and Jokic has been mostly dominating all season. And then Kevin Durant's just going to kind of fall out of the conversation now because he's hurt, but he'll get back into it. But I just do wonder from your point on that i do wonder where the course correction is going to be or if that ferrari is just going to keep zooming at 105 and steph's going to win mvp because i agree with you i don't think he can be mvp right now just based on how great the warrior supporting cast has been and the fact that it's not this 65 70 win like juggernaut or whatever right like they're probably going to be like a 55 to 60 win team ultimately depending on how yeah yeah yeah, depending on how quickly they adjust. So to, to your point and the the wonderment that could be that I think will likely be two Warriors starting. And to your to your original uh, discussion point on like voting Draymond and Wiggins, Wiggins is third right now in front court voting. He is third. <laughs> it's insane. Right? Draymond yeah. is sixth. So that is a drastic gap between those two because everyone will agree, and the Warriors fans will too. Draymond deserves to start more than Wiggins, but Warriors fans are clearly voting for Wiggins more than Draymond to start because they were told by their players and by their coaches and so on, like Wiggins needs to make the all-star game. So they are taking over their part, which is, uh, I was talking about this with our friend Serge on Twitter. Like they're just doing an incredible job as a fan base to like take control of this. It's really just tremendous work. Go go ahead, Mike. Once the K-pop groups got involved, (laughs) it it was kind of over. It was over. Not even, not even Kendall could fight against that. And, And Kendall for her part, I was surprised she even made a tweet. Yeah, but she didn't even she didn't even tell people to go retweet. It. <laughs> yeah, that's like exactly. you take your audience, you take your audience of a hundred million followers, and you completely squander it because they don't know what the hell is going on with basketball. You need to give them directions. You need to tell them go and retweet <laughs> this so that my boyfriend can be in the All Star game. Instead, yeah. it got like a million likes and like five thousand retweets, and it didn't even work. So yeah, we don't stand a chance to the K-pop groups. Yeah, not to mention the K-pop the k-pop group that i saw at least only tweeted about andrew wiggins they didn't even make the case for anyone else they they knew exactly what they were doing it's it's you know equivalent to like vote manipulation essentially but yeah you know it's funny when you talk about 
Steph Curry and, and the MVP discussion. Do you remember? I know you both remember, but I'm going to ask you anyway. When Steve Nash was on the Lakers and he checked in to get a single assist to pass Mark Jackson to be third all time in assists and then checked out and then just didn't play again for the rest of his career. Yeah. That's essentially what happened with Steph Curry's shooting after he got the most three point three pointers. He did the home run derby thing. Yeah. It's so bizarre. It's like, he's not the same anymore. And, you know, I, I think that as narrative wise, I actually think that that's affected him. I, I, you know, as much as, we want to say, like, I think he was clearly the favorite at that time. But the fact that his shooting just fell off a cliff immediately after, you know, right before, and then immediately after he got the most three-pointers all time, I don't he know that people it, right? are going to give it to him at this point. Yeah, he said it, right? He basically said, like, yeah, I'm trying to get this record over with so we can yeah. just kind of move on. And it took him a while. And he he did it in a great moment. But it's kind of thrown off his season a little bit. Um yeah. Which is which has been strange, and not to say he shouldn't have been like chasing the record or whatever or however you want to phrase it, but that's just kind of how it ha- unfolded, really, mm-hmm. to phrase it that way. So, looking at the bench, we've got three front court spots, two guard spots, two wild card spots. Yeah, the only guy I didn't mention in that other starting guard spot is Donovan Mitchell, just because I don't think he's in the discussion to start. I think Gobert is obviously like the more valuable player on that team, hot take alert, whatever. Sorry. Um, two Not guards, anymore. two wild card spots, Doncic, Booker, Paul, Mitchell. You can tell that I've already looped Moran in there. I just think that like the, we can talk about if Devin deserves to start or not, but I think Morant second in guard voting. And I think he's going to land at the lowest, like three or four on the other ballots. And I just think he's going to have too much juice there in the end. Now the three front court spots is where it gets interesting and where we can either take the conversation different ways, depending on how you guys want to go. So we've got Gobert. Uh, because I think it's going to be Wiggins or Green. I'm going to put in Green just so like good things happen. Andrew Wiggins isn't starting the All-Star game because the fan vote got so crazy and there weren't enough, like just some really weird thing happened where he's starting the All-Star game. I'm going to put Draymond in there for now. So we got Gobert and Towns in the other two front court spots. Do you guys dispute that at all? No, no I, th- I think that makes sense. I mean, it's not okay. going to be Carmelo Anthony. The, Paul George is injured. Anthony Davis so is then, So then the, the Timberwolves third spot, are in an All-Star spot. Too, correct so, yeah yeah they are and that's where like trey and like that whole argument uh when we get to like the second half of the year if they continue it's like just trey yeah. deserve to make an all nba spot when the hawks aren't even that good like that's right that's another day the third front court spot again we're out of options we've got anthony davis who has played around i think 28 games 27 to 28 that's right around where deandre ayton is as well that's where we list mikhail bridges in this argument as well i think Stephen a smith actually said like he should make the all-star game the other day which is just a crazy mm-hmm. crazy thing to have happen on the television um and then, and then wiggins so i think guys the thing that i'll ask is what do you think deserves to happen more from your guys's perspective of being a fan do you think devin booker deserves to make the all-star game more or do you think the suns deserve three all-stars more mm. That's interesting. I would say at first thought Devin Booker deserves to make the all-star game more, but I don't, I don't know that it's one starting it, starting it. Oh, starting. Yeah. I don't care if he starts. I, I, I just oh, don't oh so it doesn't matter. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I, I think that, I guess the only reason for me to care about it is because I feel like he cares, like the players care. And that's the only thing that keeps me uh, caring about it. But like, I'm so disenfranchised with the way that these things work and how narrative based that they all are that I've just stopped caring about a lot of it in a lot of ways. I don't care about a lot of the awards. I don't care about a lot of the things that are based on fan voting or media voting because very few people have the opportunity to watch enough games to actually, you know, have opinions that make sense or matter. 
so I've just stopped caring about it, I guess. You know, like, I guess you could say because the Suns are so good, they deserve somebody starting in the All-Star game. And I, I get the logic to that. But, like, it, and there's just bigger things to think about. And, I, you know, when it comes to that, I just, I don't know. I don't Fair. care as much. What are what are our options here? We're down to the last spot. Uh, this is also a spot that obviously would have gone to Paul George had he not. Oh, yeah. Too. So and Dame right? would be in the mix too, but he's he's out. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then you want to start talking about Dejounte Murray, but he can't be in the front court spot. So like no, he's he can't right. be in the front court spot. So so yeah. to that point, our choices are either Wiggins, who does not deserve it, but has at least been healthy. DeAndre having a good year. We should we should say Andrew yeah, Wiggins is having good. a, no, he a is. good. He has been. I think we're we're like doing that thing where oh my god, Andrew Wiggins is a positive piece of a really good team, and we're going to make him an all star right. kind of thing. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? mean? Yeah. I, yeah, he's he's been fine. Uh, it's like how coaches win coach of the year because they took over a bad team. <laughs> <laughs> shout out Tom Thibodeau. Exactly. Yeah, shout out, shout out Tom Thibodeau. They better make that up. That I don't care if the Suns go like 20 and 20 the rest of the way. They better make up for that. <laughs> I, Ridiculous. It, it, but they might not, dude. I, that's nope. a different different narrative for a different day. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. anyway, our options are Wiggins. Aiton and Anthony Davis, who have played equally, you know, like 28 games or whatever. Aiton will have a few more by the All-Star game. Or like, I mean, I would almost rather give it, if it came down to this guy versus Wiggins, I'd almost rather give it to Brandon Ingram. But I get that the Pelicans suck, so that's not going to happen. I just like, if push comes to shove, like, yes, I want DeAndre Aiton in that third spot over the rest of those guys. I think he deserves it over the rest of those guys. Is the rest of the league going to view it that way? Are the coaches going to view it that way? I have no Mm -hmm. idea. Yeah, but yeah, to to what I said before, the Warriors getting the third All Star as the worst team doesn't really make sense to me. I mean, I, I think yeah. that's an admission of big market bias if that happens. If it comes down to Andrew Wiggins versus DeAndre Ayton for this last spot, and it goes to Andrew Wiggins, I think it's just because Warriors fans were successful at being louder about it online. Mm-hmm. I really yeah. just think it comes down to that. Yeah. I think I think if DeAndre, the way that we view, and shout out to Simmons, because he is the guy who always mentions games missed, and he has lodged it in our brains that this really matters a lot. And I think it does matter to a certain extent. I don't think it should be this end-all, be-all where, like, you have not played enough games. You are disqualified. <laughs> it's like it's yeah. not like that. But I think it's it can be used in, like, a 50-50 argument. I don't think Wiggins versus Aiden is a 50-50 argument. So I think if DeAndre comes back in the next week or two. Yeah, that would help a lot. But then he's running out of time, I think, because I can't remember when the reserves are announced, but I think it's the next, it's the next week after. So I think he's only got like a week and a half to go until they're announced. But I think that DeAndre should make it. But I think there's this interesting sort of schism is the the right word maybe, but the way we, I just talked about Gobert and just rolled through the fact like Donovan Mitchell's having an incredible year, but Gobert is the most valuable player. That's because, Rudy Gobert is like their best defensive player by a mile. It's it's not really close. I think there's this interesting thing where the way that people talk about Chris and Devin for MVP, and like that's a conversation that we're going to have on this podcast probably in a couple of weeks, depending on how hot Devin gets and like what the cases are and how if the Suns continue with his pace, are, like they're taking attention from each other, right? I think that Mikel and DeAndre do such a good one-two mm-hmm. job, 1A, 1B job on the defense that it kind of hurts their overall cases in this kind of argument because – there are some places where you could look at DeAndre and the impact that he has on floor and say, he is like the reason this team is so good defensively. Mm-hmm. Or you could look at McKell and say, he is the reason this team is so good defensively. They've just got such a really good, well-rounded defensive team that those guys don't really pad their uh, resume because of it, Mike. I, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And it's 
one of the things that's kind of dumb about these awards <laughs> is yeah, that yeah. in in some weird backwards way the best teams are punished a little bit for having players that essentially sacrifice i know it's not quite the same thing in this scenario because it's not actual numbers like when good players sacrifice points to be on better teams but it's a similar it's a similar it is thing similar, though i mean i, 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 mean, I want to ask book, sorry i want to ask kellen yeah. though who's been better out of deandre ayton and anthony davis when they've played so far this season deandre I think that's pretty clear, right? I, you know, I just looked up. I just looked up estimated plus minus, which is one of those stats. I know. I know. I know. I know. But I just looked it up because I wanted (laughs) to see like these. This is one. This is one that people like. Like smart people like it. I Uh, don't like it. And I looked up to see who was higher in estimated plus minus between DeAndre and and Anthony Davis so far this season, and they're exactly the same. It's exactly the same. Uh, And I think that statistically. Aiton's been better, in my opinion. He's been more solid on defense, and he doesn't do things offensively that hurt the team the way that Anthony Davis has done so far this season. So I think, like, I I would prefer that it would be between those two guys because those two guys are just better than Andrew Wiggins. Uh, And if it was, even if it came down to those two guys, I think DeAndre Aiton's been better this year. Yeah, I don't have time to bring up the super, super fancy, the super duper fancy advanced stats because I'm only looking at their basketball (laughs) reference pages. But oh, what a shame. I'm so disappointed. Just according to BPM, uh, (laughs) you know, which is which is more box score based. But, you know, it gives you gives you a decent look. Uh, Anthony Davis is having his worst BPM since uh, his rookie season. And DeAndre Ayton, DeAndre Ayton is better in that stat. Uh, 3.9 to 2.9 in case you were curious as to what it literally is that number might mean nothing to you but Mm -hmm. I I think you could build a pretty strong statistical case for DeAndre if you really dug down into it at the end of the day Anthony Davis on the court I'm pretty sure has a negative net rating when playing with LeBron James which it's pretty hard to construct a case out of that yeah it's pretty hard to have a negative net rating when you're if you're having a negative net rating with LeBron when you're on the court with LeBron. I don't even know if he should be in the NBA anymore, and that's not a slide at Anthony Davis, but that's just like if anyone tells me that, I'm like, is that Sasha Pavlovich you're talking about? Like, you know what I mean? So yeah, I, I'm just joshing you guys about the numbers. By the way, I just think that we use. I see people from that community who really rely on those numbers using it as like a, this player is better than this player because yeah. of this one number right here. And I think right. that's not the right way to use it, but it's the right way to use it in this discussion because we can kind of point here and there and say like, okay, like here, there, every, like we can go around the, the world a bit on the stats instead of just pointing at one yeah. declarative one. There's never going to be a analytic or even two analytics. You can look at together net rating PER, RPM, EPM, BPM, ZPM, DPM, whatever it is, <laughs> that is going to tell you who is a better basketball player than the other. We're never going to come up with it. It's just not going to happen. So yep. I, I, I just wanted to say that out loud because I, you, I think you, some... you, you two know I'm kidding. And for those listening who really care about those numbers, that's just my whole take on it. But you guys know I'm kidding. Right. Some former players would suggest that the only advanced stat that matters is rings. <laughs> Maybe they're right. <laughs> and then oh, Anthony Davis wins that. Then one Anthony again. Davis is winning and throw him in the All Star game, I guess. But it just I has re- Mickey Mouse ears on it. I, re- <laughs> I really wish we were done because that would have just been the perfect thing. To end. But we're not done. And this is like the one main thing that I wanted to have you guys on about, which is the trade deadline coming up. Uh, when Kevin and I were talking about it last week, two weeks ago with campaign and land your shame. Look, I'm not saying I did the campaign thing, guys, but I mean, I just wrote a big thing about how not good he's been and he's been good since. So 
not not saying anything but anyway <laughs> bravo, I, I bravo. didn't do it to, didn't do it to landry for you guys as fans i'm sorry i tried <laughs> do that God, next. He's, he's he's just gotta go you know what i'm saying like yeah. he's just gotta go it's it's just a it's a hesitation with them sometimes that's a, that's another discussion we don't want to get mm-hmm. on a tangent so the trade deadline it, it we bring up those two guys so you guys can bring up your thoughts on those two if it if it pertains to what we're talking about but looking at specific names, we'll get to that in a minute. But I want to talk to you guys about mindset because I was joking with you guys before we clicked record that there are certain ways in which I really dislike the discourse about team building, roster construction, how much better a team can get, and so on. If you are an old man screaming at the clouds of Quilvin of telling me the team should have Thad Young, even after they just got Bismack Biombo, and even after they've shown they now have, <laughs> I think, six capable centers on their yeah. roster, that they still need another one, basically. And I know that's more of a four or five, blah, 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 whatever. Mm. Um, those types of people exist and, and infuriate me. The types of people who, and fans in particular, whenever this team loses, I think Suns Twitter gets in a really bad habit of looking at what's wrong and trying to dissect it and, and analyze, <laughs> and like analyze and sort of go like, man, they really like Abdul Nader sucks. Like they obviously need Tory Craig and all this guy. So they just played like one bad game. Can we relax for a second? <laughs> so that's where it drives me nuts. But to that point, Mike and Sam, you are those guys. Sometimes I say that <laughs> loving both of you. You are both those guys, but I make a living team, off of those takes. That's my livelihood. You do, sir. But you guys do so in a way where you guys are really thinking about it. You're not just being an angry fan that's angry on Twitter and saying this team sucks and they need to fire money and all this stuff. You are looking at it through a certain lens and the way in which you two have kind of been talking about and alluding to the way that this team needs to improve. Like you said earlier, Sam, like a tweak or two here and there. Uh, I've laid it out pretty simply. Like I think another wing would be a good idea. I think if you can get another ball handler, that makes sense. That would be a really good idea. But like, what are like the really specific sort of like more nuanced ways that you two are kind of looking at potentially improving the team this year? Because what all three of us can agree on is, yo, trade everything <laughs> like just do anything you can because you are the title favorites right, right now you need to keep on that sam how would you improve the team and look at can, it? can i just say just in our defense first before sam goes here <laughs> there is nothing that gets more hate than a podcast or a tweet with fake trades in it <laughs> so we don't do it because people like it because people hate it like people yeah. really do hate <laughs> people it. really do hate it <laughs> they don't like when you trade well, you know you know what it is like People ask for it constantly, though, and yeah, then they, and then they still they hate mad. it. Yeah, it's different people. <laughs> you know, it's often different people. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to say that because as much as, I, you know, I think Sam and I both agree that there are ways for this team to improve uh, throughout this season. You know, it's not it, we don't say those things because people like to hear them. That's for sure. Absolutely. Sa- Sam, go ahead. What are you looking at to improve the most like specific things on the court that you're seeing? Yeah, so again, with what we were talking about in the first half of the episode, right? It's just about those couple of teams that could trip you up. The only things that could trip the Suns up with as good as they've been in the playoffs outside of an injury, like a catastrophic injury, which could always trip anyone up, would be uh, some sort of small ball optimization issue against specifically the Utah Jazz or the Golden State Warriors. That's the first one. That's where you want to get a bigger wing who can play a little bit of the five. Yes, the Suns have a million and one centers right now. Yes, by the way, I saw Bismack Biombo, uh, not just hedging, but like full-on trapping players on the ball handlers <laughs> on the Dallas Mavericks Dude. yesterday. And by the way, he did a great job. He did a great job. What's going think, on there? They just find this guy off the street and he's perfect for them. I it mean, makes no if sense. You, 
you you obviously did not want to do this, but if you had just wanted to do this entire episode with us on Bismack Biombo, I think I could have done it. I, I think yeah. I have that <laughs> that many positive things to say about him. Yeah. However, all that aside, like you look you look at a team like the Jazz, just to talk about them again real quick. The Jazz are really, 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 really good with Rudy Gobert. I know what Mike was saying earlier about Chris Paul has always dominated Rudy Gobert in the playoffs, but they have played by far their best basketball with Rudy Gobert. And there is a blueprint to beat them that we've seen repeated in the playoffs where you simply take a small ball center, you stick that guy in the corner, you force Rudy Gobert to either guard or not guard that guy. And suddenly his defensive value is cut in half and the head of the the whole operation comes off and the jazz crumble. Like there's a very obvious formula to beating that team. And it's entirely dependent on having a piece of the puzzle that the Suns simply do not have right now. They could have it maybe if they wanted to play Mikhail Bridges, uh, Cam Johnson, and Jay Crowder together, and you play Jay Crowder at center, but we just haven't seen them do that. They're certainly not willing to like play Ish Wainwright heavy minutes at center right now. So the other response you have to that is to go out and actually get that guy. And that guy would work against the Jazz, and that guy would also work against the Golden State Warriors, who, as we all know, love to play small. The other thing you could potentially run into is uh, an issue, again, with the Milwaukee Bucks needing to score more points, uh, basically needing a third guy to match their third guy. If you believe that campaign has regressed enough, especially, and he's not going to deliver you some of the performances that you want to see in the playoffs, if you also believe that Landry Shamit has been lackluster, which I believe is kind of just objectively the case on offense, he's like a 53% true shooting guy right now and is getting paid $10 million to do it, you got to go out and you got to get another guard who can get you some buckets, uh, uh, just a, a guy to push your offense over the edge in a series like that, because precisely as Mike said before, you're not going to be able to stop Giannis no matter what you do, but maybe you can hit a ton of threes and maybe, you know, a guy like Eric Gordon or whoever, definitely Eric Gordon is near the top of that list can go out and do that for you. So those are the two kind of areas that we're thinking about. Yeah. Mike, before you go, I want to mention since Sam literally just said it and mentioned Eric Gordon, he had a really good stat the other day from Eric Gordon, which I'm reading right now. He's sec at the time in January 18th. So three days ago, he was second in the NBA in three point percentage and third in the NBA on the field goal percentage he has on drives. So like, that's the specific type of offense that you're looking for, like more of a reliable shooter, but not just a guy who's a, a catch and shoot guy. Like he can really score efficiently on drives as well. Mike, where are you looking at? Yeah, I, I, I agree with those things. I think that I think as constructed, the Suns have a good chance of beating the Warriors still. But it's I still think it's a bit of a coin flip depending on how Clay Thompson looks by the end of the season. And like the reason the reason I say that is because the Suns have actually used size to their advantage so far in a way that a lot of teams don't really have the opportunity to do against the Warriors. So it's nice that they can play DeAndre Ayton extended minutes against the Warriors. And as long as everyone's healthy, you know, we saw in the first game, they can probably use him well. You know, in the second game, Devin Booker out, maybe a little too many post ups a little further away from the rim for DeAndre Ayton. But there are ways to use him that could uh, make that the Suns' advantage, I think. But I still think a, a wing, somebody that can do small ball things, you know, they've tried small ball lineups with ish Wainwright at center. They clearly want to try it. And even the ish Wainwright ones haven't been terrible. You know, this it's credit to the rest of the Suns players though, because every lineup you look at for this team has been good that, you know, there's Jalen Smith lineups that are insane. So, you know, credit to the rest of the team, but yeah, I think you get, you get into a series against the bucks and drew holiday is going to be guarding someone. Chris Middleton's going to be guarding someone. And Giannis is going to be guarding someone. 
but they don't have a lot of other guys that are going to shut people down. Most teams don't have a bunch of lockdown defenders on their team. And that means the Suns, I think a big thing for what happened in that series in particular is on nights when Chris Middleton didn't have it, Drew Holiday did. And on nights when Drew Holiday didn't have it, Chris Middleton did. And on nights when Devin Booker didn't have it, yeah, Chris Paul may have, but they didn't have that third guy the way that the Bucks did with Giannis. And to me, finding another offensive piece that can create against those worst defenders that the Suns are going to be facing that aren't Drew Holiday, that aren't Chris Middleton, I think that could make a big difference for them in the playoffs. And I think that's why everyone keeps coming back to Eric Gordon because Eric Gordon just makes sense. He's played with Chris He's, Paul. He yeah. can attack closeouts. He can shoot. He would have. He would immediately, once he joins the Suns, have the deepest range of any shooter on the Suns. He doesn't just shoot threes. He shoots threes from a few steps behind the, the arc. And that's something really no Suns players can do right now. And I think that's why he's an obvious one. But there are other guys, I think, out there that you can find that potentially you can find that can do both of those things. Like Harrison Barnes is somebody that could do small ball center things and create an offense for himself occasionally against uh, teams that can't put their best defenders on him. So to me, as, as much as I think there is something to getting mad about every single loss in the season, which there haven't been many, so there's not a lot of anger going around, when you talk about this team, because they're essentially the same team as last year, no matter what JaVale McGee says about him being the difference against the Bucks, I think there are other things that need to change in order to beat a team like them. And even can potentially I also, the Nets if they get there. Can I also just say, uh, by the way, that if Mikhail Bridges was the guy this season that we kind of expected him to be, then I don't think any of this would be a conversation, right? right? Like if Mikhail Bridges was the 16 to 18 point per game guy that we thought he was trending towards, especially when we watched him start to take more on-ball reps in, uh, in preseason games. And the start of the season too, like the first 10 games. Yeah, then this Landry this Shamit not... too, by the way. Yep. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Landry, I'll be honest. I, I never really had huge uh, expectations <laughs> I remember. of Landry. Yeah, I, I'm not trying to victory. Uh, I'm not trying to take my victory lap about that, by the way. I think Landry, I've defended Landry a lot in the past as saying he is totally fine. He is like the most inoffensive player to my eyes. He doesn't make mistakes. <laughs> but it's like you watch Landry last night and he played 10 minutes in a game that essentially felt like a playoff game. And he took two shots. And what's what's he doing out there? It's like, you know, you can like that's one game. But for every one great game that Landry has this year, anyway, I don't have to get on this whole tangent. The point is, Mikhail Bridges, if he was that guy, then you wouldn't be talking about going out and getting Eric Gordon and Harrison Barnes. Because Mikhail Bridges is not that guy, he's still great. He's obviously has uh, this unspeakable defensive value. But because he's not that 15, 16, 18 point per game kind of Chris Middleton in the making, at least not right now. Yeah, you got to go out and you got to get someone else. It, it kind of boils down to if Devin Booker's hamstring is bothering him in the, in the playoffs again, is there somebody else that can do some of the things that he does that could make up for that game or two that the Suns didn't have before? I mean, that's it, basically what it, where it boils down to to me. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think this is a lot more simple than it's not as simple, sorry, as getting Torrey Craig to do the Torrey Craig thing again because – I don't think if like Chris Paul is healthy in the finals that they still win it. I think that it had a severe impact for sure, but I think they just wear down in that series either way. And like the same problems are going to plague them regardless. So uh, on the two different things Sam was saying uh, to start on Shamit, 
I just think you really stick out like a sore thumb on this team when you're a ball handler and you don't do 0.5 things 100% of the time. Like we've seen Cam and Mikel get incrementally better at it to the point where I think like halfway through last season, they just had it down completely. Landry at one point last night had like a, a semi-transition opportunity where it was either four on four or four on three. And the way to think about four on four and just not a five in the defenders is that you have more space to go with. And he had one of those possessions where he gets the outlet at half court and he at first kind of sprinted up the floor, but then once he got to the three point line, he kind of turned around and stopped the possession from there. And he needs to go into the basket and then see if he can create the defense and force them to shift a bit. And then a couple of minutes later, he caught the ball in the corner, was getting that type of closeout that you normally see him get, and he just took one dribble, and, and that was it. And, and that was that's the part of his game that just needs to get better, and, and I think that it will. But that sort of hesitation for him, I think we forget with him since it feels like he's been around forever. He was in the same draft class as Mikel. Like he, he is still like a relatively young player in this league, and I think we just see that coming out of him. I think on the, on the five and, and the four or five that they kind of need, I think that is – the big question with them in terms of if they want to really go all out for this, is there the perfect kind of guy out there? I am the loudest voice in all of the world when it comes to Jay Crowder's importance on this team. Do I think Jay Crowder to Harrison Barnes is a championship? Like you are absolutely the championship (laughs) favorite. If you do that, I'm not exactly sure. And I need to be a hundred percent sure to tell to trade Jay. But to that point, if someone is just a little bit better than Harrison Barnes or is just a little bit better of a fit that we're not thinking about right now that exists for that spot, then you go and, and sort of get him. And now something that Sam and I remembered, one of the threads we had, you threw out Nick Batum for exactly what you're talking oh, about. Oh, he's that's perfect. What, that's what he's you were talking about. He has to be perfect if he's okay with playing that role, which is that he is going to either be the fourth wing and play behind Cam Johnson, or you're going to have them too evenly and take away Cam's minutes, or you're going to take away Jace. You're going to take away someone's minutes to give Batum minutes, and Batum is not going to play as many minutes as he has pretty much his entire career. And you need him to be okay with that. You need the other players to be okay with that. If he's not okay with it, is there someone else across the league that makes a little bit more sense for like that kind of role that you're talking about? I don't know if Kenrich Williams is big enough, but he's Mm. the name that's been brought up like quite a bit for that fourth wing spot. Is there someone else? that comes to mind in this conversation of those, those names, Sam. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, like all of our friend David has brought up Kenrich and we've all talked about Kenrich. I don't know if he's big enough for that either. I mean, I think you can sell Batum on the role. He's a 33 year old player. who's never won a championship. And I don't think he just has to like, he's not going to be just playing 10 minutes per game uh, where you try and like lightly work him in behind Cam Johnson and Jay Crowder. The real guy who's losing out. If you go and acquire Nick Batum, is JaVale McGee. Exactly. Because now, like, these games that JaVale McGee has had against the Warriors, for instance, where he only plays eight minutes because the Suns feel that they just can't keep him on the court. Yeah. Now that's or against the Mavericks. Good. Or against keep Mavericks. him on the court against the Mavericks. That's going to be, for as well as JaVale has played, for as ridiculous as his per 36 numbers are, Wilt Chamberlain-esque per 36 numbers, JaVale McGee, bravo. However... It's he's going to be the guy who starts playing eight to 10 minutes per game going forward rather than 18 to 20. Right. And so if Batum takes 10 minutes there and he takes 10 minutes from Crowder Johnson, I mean, I, I, a 20 minute per game role where you're the sixth or seventh man on uh, the championship favorite and this is your best shot at winning it. I think I can sell him. I think James ult- Jones could sell him too. That's the that's the way to phrase it. It is the ultimate like you talk about buy-in and like what DeAndre has done. Like that's an example. This would be the ultimate example of Chris Paul and Monty Williams and James Jones getting yeah. buy-in. 
to get a guy like Nick Batum to take the smallest role of his career for something where it is about a specific matchup. And if you guys are talking about it, uh, and no offense to you guys, you guys are very, very wise, but if you guys are talking about, they're absolutely talking about it in the front office. And especially because they were the ones who went through that loss against the Bucks. Mm-hmm. They're looking at that matchup every day, thinking about mm-hmm. it. When they're watching the Bucs, they are thinking specifically about how they can beat them, thinking back to games four, thinking about game five when it looked like they could have had the series at that point and thinking about where they could have gotten better. Like It's absolutely there. The gears are turning. So it's just a matter of if the right player and if the right deal comes along. That's a phrase I say a lot, though, Mike. Um, it's easier when you're in a window like this where you can just throw, again, I – I, I'm going to ask you guys as fans, are you guys going to care if they trade two unprotected first round picks in, in like the next no. six years or whatever? No. And then that, no. those are back to back number one overall picks and they don't get the championship this year. Will you care? I don't think Chris I would Paul care no. from my perspective. Chris Paul is a million years old. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if, and if, and, and like Devin Booker, I, I feel like has a fairly short leash. Like once you've tasted success, you have a fairly Devin Booker's not going to go back to winning 19 games on the Suns again. If if for some reason the next couple of years Chris Paul retires, I hope this does not happen obviously, but if Chris Paul retires and the Suns are a 19-win team again, Devin Booker requests a trade immediately and you hit the reset button and you fully blow it up. So none of it will matter and you you'll get start picks from there. Zero. Yeah. <laughs> you'll get picks there, right? Yeah. So like I I do not care about any of that. This is your best shot. You have a 3-game lead over every other team in the NBA. If if anyone even tries to bring up picks, I swear to God, I might have to kill them because it's <laughs> like there's a time and a place. Now is not yeah. the time and the place to talk about first round picks of all things. You've never won a championship. Kellen, you said this the other day. I heard you say this. You've never won a championship. <laughs> You've been there three times. Yeah. Go all in. I know. Doesn't Kellen matter if it's Gordon or who. Yeah, I know some- you don't care. Isn't there some unsung value now to how many protected picks there are to giving up an unprotected mm. pick? It feels like there's like asset, not misevaluation, but like yeah. you can get away with adding more value in a way where it wouldn't seem that valuable necessarily. Because right. they'll sit there and say, well, what if Devin Booker leaves? We've got two top five picks. Like there's something there, right? Like there's something yeah. there for sure. Right. I mean, and, and the Suns are still the Suns in a lot of GM's minds, I imagine. So there's always the chance of something going wrong later on. And them capitalizing on that. But yeah, also not to mention, Kellen, the value of the Suns owning picks that they can trade because yeah. the Warriors don't really have any picks they can trade. The Nets don't really have any picks they can trade. The Jazz don't really have any picks, even down to the Denver Nuggets. They don't really have any picks either. The Suns have the advantage of being one of the contenders that has the capability of sending out first round picks that are potentially future value to teams that want future value and in a market where there's not a lot of contenders that have that maybe the warriors probably are one of the teams that actually has some the suns need to capitalize on that as well because the value of their picks is higher when teams are looking for contenders to trade for these players i mean those that matters as well and on the lesser scale players wanting to play here is the most important part of it because when you look at a deal like the pj tucker trade the suns had where they got two fake second round picks basically because they were like at the end of the draft for PJ teams will make that type of trade for players that they want to get in a better position to the Suns because they are a better position. So on, on a lower kind of spectrum of deals that we're talking about, like two, one protect first round, like what if they just do the garbage, like two, three, four second round picks that yeah. are in the fifties kind of deal. They ha- they actually have more at their disposal than you would think, despite the fact that most of trade proposals, fake trades involve Dario plus Jalen plus whatever <laughs> for, for this guy. Yeah. I mean, that's just the salary. 
I think you could even point as recent as the Chris Paul trade as an example of what the Suns can get away with when a player wants to play here because Chris Paul dictated the team he wanted to go to to OKC and the Suns gave up very little for Chris Paul compared to what he brought to the team. So, you know, there is the possibility of the Suns actually pulling something off like that. Maybe the Rockets want to do a solid for Eric Gordon, for example, and send him to a team that he wants to play for. And we know he wants to play here. He signed a contract to play here. <laughs> I was, dude, Kellen Olsen, uh, Suns fan before he became a Suns reporter, ran through the halls of his house when that got announced. Oh, my God. I was so excited because <laughs> we were so desperate for anything decent happening. And it was like, yeah. Eric Gordon's in his prime right now. This is awesome. He's coming to Phoenix. <laughs> and then it didn't quite yeah. work out that way. Are there any mm-hmm. other names on the trade market that you guys have been like talking about in your podcast or just like independently kind of scouring at the past couple of weeks that you want to mention. Cause like, I honestly am going to go through it more over the next week or so, but I, I haven't really dived in. I've just seen the name. So let me know of a couple more. If you got them. We hit on all of the main ones that I wanted to talk about for sure. Yeah. So great job, Kellen. Um, I would say there are others that we've shot down. Like Jeremy Grant is a no, obviously. Yeah. Um, I know especially after he's, especially after the report right. that like, yes, I would like to keep shooting the ball twenty times. I want to okay. play on bad teams. Yeah, <laughs> sounds good, Jeremy. Have yeah, he said okay. he wants Have... to play on bad teams, and even like Paul Millsap just recently, you know, apparently the Nets are going to find a new team for Paul Millsap where he can play a larger role. That's not the Suns. Like he's not going to play a larger role here. So yeah, that's another name that you can sure. just scratch off the list. I think it's difficult to find. Guys, you know, I like we said Harrison Barnes, he's interesting. You know, at the beginning of the season, I kept an eye on Pascal Siakam. I just wanted to see what would happen with Pascal Siakam, but that would be where you would make a bigger trade and have to give up some pieces that there is no reason to give up at this point after what we've seen the Suns do so far this season. So, yeah, I think those are the guys, and maybe they'll pull off something unexpected like they did with Torrey Craig. Maybe they will. And, and I think that's the great place to end it is that when in doubt, uh, don't doubt James Jones and know that he's scouring something. We kind of wrote off the Tory Craig move just because it was a whatever and a whatever trade. And then it turned out to be, oh, yeah, Paul George is playing out of his mind in this series and we need someone to shut him down. Go play 25 minutes tonight, Tory, and handle that. And he's like, all right, I'll make him shoot six of 16 and we'll win the series while Chris does <laughs> grab or whatever. Grab eight offensive rebounds while I'm doing it. Yeah. yeah. I, re- I tweeted this last night. I don't care if it's with the Suns or not. I just hope he lands on a contender because players like him don't deserve to be on bad teams just in the same way that PJ was stuck here during when it was clear that he was like yeah. an important, he could be an important piece on a really good team. And luckily we've gotten to that point in PJ's career. And I hope Tory c- continues that because that's been his career. He was in Denver. Then he was in, I, he didn't last in Milwaukee. So then he came here. And then I hope he gets out of Indiana. And I think a lot of teams are, are going to want him. Mike and Sam, thank you so much for uh joining us is there anything specific either of you guys want to plug i already mentioned the pod and your guys's twitter at the top uh we have a patreon if anyone wants extra stuff from us you can join our patreon we do uh extra podcasts every week we also host watch parties where we watch the game with you and do live analysis during the game audio analysis during the game which have been really fun uh next one is the jazz game by the way jazz Back to back, Kellen, very soon we get to see the Suns play against the Jazz. I think that's going to be a really interesting matchup. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and it's funny you mentioned that because I'm probably on uh, 95% going to have a piece up on Sunday, kind of looking at the Jazz and looking at the litmus test coming up against them. Litmus test might be the wrong, nice. wrong word because people think of that at the top, but yeah, we're going to look at Utah for sure. <laughs> Please, guys, if you listen to their stuff at all and you just kind of, for, I, I know this kind of happens, someone mentions a Patreon or whatever, and you not necessarily gloss over it, but just don't think to give money when you 
support their content every week and download it just a couple of bucks or, or whatever just really helps these guys out. I mean, Mike, for goodness sake, like just got out of like a work meeting to record this and he's recording from a hotel room and you can tell if you haven't been able to tell, like these guys really care about what they do on top of their normal things that they do in their normal lives. So throwing support their way should help. And as a reminder to someone like me, honestly, that should start donating to the Patreon. I'm going to do that as soon as this podcast is over. Cause gosh, darn it. You guys deserve it. You just do. Thank you. You just Kelly. deserve support. We <laughs> hope you are getting the support that you need in your lives. We'll be back next week. See you guys then.